Hello, everyone, and welcome to High Performance Pathways. This is season two, and we're already at episode three together. I'm your host, Court Whitman, and today's podcast is sponsored by the Notecast app. Use the Notecast app to save snippets of podcasts as digital notes so you never forget all those thoughts, ideas, or aha moments that come to you while listening to a podcast just like this. You can download that NoCast app in Apple Store or on Google Play. And if you enjoy this conversation between me and my guest, please consider learning more about me at my website, courtwhitman.com. So for all new listeners out there, High Performance Pathways is a purpose-built and specially selected collection of someone's experience as they discuss how they understand, discover, and chase high performance in their life. This content is collected during an intimate one-on-one interview, and then we share it with you. Why? Because I believe deeply that everyone has a different path in their life to high performance. And hearing about the path that other professionals have journeyed along is informative and it inspires us. So during each episode of High Performance Pathways, it's my intent to do five things for you, the listener. Number one, I'm going to connect you to someone else to build your relationships. Number two, I'm going to question so that we can understand. Number three, I'm going to share to raise perspectives. Number four, I'm going to teach to increase confidence. And number five, I'm going to inspire. Inspire your growth in this conversation. One additional note to cover as you continue listening. This podcast is coming to you raw. And that means, and if you've been an avid listener, sometimes you can't hear me anymore. Sometimes it just goes blank for a moment. Hey, bear with us. It's part of how it goes because we don't do any post-production editing. We record live and we deliver this content directly to you as it was recorded. Now, what you've been waiting for, who's the guest today, right? My guest is Eric Motzenbecker. And he's family. He's a cousin. And you're saying, hey, you're saying, Court, what's going on, man? How much family you got? You know, and I'll say, hey, there's 23 of us running around this great country, and they're all incredible. And so I'm happy to spend this conversation with someone that's very close to me. A little bit more about Eric here. Eric's an NCAA athlete, having ran cross country and track and field at the United States Military Academy at West Point, culminating as a team captain his senior year. He's an Army veteran, and he's currently serving as a senior vice president at City in the greater New York area. Now, prior to serving at City, Eric worked as a project and operations manager for Kinder Morgan, as an advisory consultant at Ernst & Young, and as a vice president at Goldman and Sachs. And that was all after his military career, and he transitioned out of the Army a number of years ago. Now, Eric is originally from Wall Township in New Jersey, and he graduated from the academy with a Bachelor of Science degree, and then he entered the Army and served as a combat engineer. Now, with the Army, he served in a number of leadership positions to include platoon leader while in combat in Iraq in 05. He also served as a company executive officer, a battalion staff officer, all with 2nd Brigade, 3rd ID. And Eric is super proud to allow me to share with you that he's one of the the few that are out there that married his high school girlfriend and that he's a proud member of West Point's unofficial 2% club and that he and Kate are happily raising three incredible kids. Now, more importantly, just a couple things I, I want to also share 
so you can learn a bit about and grab some insight into this man that's going to share some perspective with us today. You know, Eric and I's lives, I think, have become more connected, in my opinion, as we've gone old, grown older, as opposed to maybe when we were younger. Now, just for some context here, most of all of my family is up in the New Jersey, New York area. My dad was the Army. He moved away, and therefore, I moved away from all the family that was there. So I, I never grew up with kind of the family, extended family experience all in and around the town. Um, that I was living in. Um, but I would certainly say that I attribute, in my opinion, the closeness that I feel with my cousin here, for the most part, I think, to the shared experience that we both had in the Army, because something just happens. Something just happens when you find yourself in a similar situation or experience, and specifically doing combat in defense of this great country. So, you know, don't know if Eric feels the same way, but I'm kind of sharing that with you as we get into this this content here together. And I'm also think that as we both began our kind of journey as a father of young kids, I've got two kids, nine and 10, Eric's got three, some younger, some older, but I think they're, you know, you kind of begin to just get a connection with someone when there is that additional shared experience. And I also just want to say that, you know, I've, I've watched you from afar, my friend, and I'm super proud of you, man, and uh, and what you and Kate are doing there uh, for your family. So, man, I, I, I'm thankful for you, and I want to just let you know that and appreciate you making time to check in here on the show and share some perspectives with the listeners on your life and the high performance that you've been able to achieve during it. So thanks, Eric, so much. Thank you, Court. It's uh, it's an absolute pleasure to be on this call and and spend some time with you. And uh, you know, it's unfortunate that we get to spend this much time together um, and, and not not have it be done in person. Man, hopefully we get a chance to catch up. But I appreciate that intro, and um, you know, I, I definitely feel the same. I, I certainly feel uh, a stronger connection uh, with you now that we've you know kind of been through the military together, and you know, certainly you know, shared experience raising kids. And it's important, it was important for me to add that bit about me and Kate uh, and, and my, and my kids, because that's such a big part of my life and who, and who I am. So hopefully that comes out a little bit in, in this conversation today. So thanks for having me here. I'm ready to get going, ready to start chatting and yeah, uh, let's rock and roll. Yeah, man. And again, just a little bit more insight there of, of I think one of the things that's, that's really important, uh, you know, a hint of family and its role in Eric's life and a lot of the work that I do um, and the folks that I'm coaching uh, through transition experiences, you know, sometimes we forget, you know, to, to really just go back to our roots and, and try to visualize or connect with, you know, who we are and what our identity is. And you heard a hint of kind of what Eric's is as he just made that comment of how important it was to make sure that Kate is part of this conversation and the fact that he's a dad with, with three young kids. So, hey man, I'd like to begin this conversation together though, to go back to, to sport. And, and, and folks that listen to this show know 100% that they're gonna talk to a sports advocate, which I am. Um, and in most cases, someone that also participated in a sport at a very high level, high level being defined at the college or pro level. Um, and so let's start there, man. And I know that for you, it was running. And, and so I'm just curious, man, what impact did, did running have and sport on your developmental journey? 
And so that's, that's the first question. And if you could maybe share some of your earliest memories of running, right? Because I think at some point, uh, sport like this, something happens, something clicks, you know? So I reflect back on, on my football time and I'm like, yeah, man, this, this is hard, but good gracious, it feels great to win. And that was a little painful, but oh my, oh my gosh, didn't I deal out some pain too? And so there's something that happened for me that drew me into the sport of football. So I'm just curious, man, if, as folks can settle into this conversation and get a little bit of insight about you, I think a reflection on sport could be helpful. So Eric, running, man, what was his impact for you? And how about some of your earliest memories? Sure. You know, I think I just pick up with the general theme of sports uh, and then we can kind of transition into running. But, you know, I started... You know, I have two older brothers and, you know, they, they played sports and sports has always been part of my, part of my life, you know, started playing soccer was really my first love as a, as a kid. Um, I think at some point in my childhood, I wanted to be a professional athlete. And I think, you know, when I was younger, it was, I want to be a professional soccer player. Yeah, you um, did. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <Don't we all>? <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um, and so, you know, that it, for me, it, it being part of a team and, and, competing and trying to win and trying to get better, whether it's against my peers or against myself, has kind of been, you know, the fabric uh, that's been consistent throughout my life. And so, you know, getting into, you know, I started running probably as a, you know, with my father who was a runner at, at a very young age, but not, you know, I had the Samba classics on, I was wearing like soccer shoes and all the other kids were wearing like the Asics and, you know, I'm running. <laughs> no joke. I can remember running like, you know, these little, Fun, two mile fun runs and I'm wearing my Samba classics and dude next to me is lining up with Asics and yeah, uh, smoked them. <laughs> that, you said you smoked them? Yeah, of course. I mean, that was always the goal. Yeah. So I didn't, it was Damn right you did. I, mean, I, got the, I got the soccer shoes on, you got the running shoes on, I try and smoke you anyway. Yeah, but, man. Uh, and just for folks listening, if Samba Classics isn't hitting on a memory for you, I don't know if you ever cut, touched a soccer ball, but uh, it's typically that probably the most uncomfortable shoe to run in. It's a flat-soled shoe in most cases and, and usually used for indoor soccer. So I'm laughing, man. I'm thinking about my runs with my dad, and it's, it's a similar kind of laughable experience but very different. So running with my dad, we had the shoes right, but my dad would show up in like a collared T-shirt, man. Like, Dad, what the hell is going on? You know? And <laughs> That's good the stuff. Biggest jokes in the family. And so, hey, man, please continue. You got it. That's good. I, I don't think my dad ever showed up in a collar t-shirt, which I'm surprised by because that might be something <laughs> too. Uh, but those were the earliest memories of running. And so, you know, as I progressed into high school, I, you know, I played soccer and then, uh, you know, I ran track and field as well. But I'll tell you, man, I didn't really get serious in, into running until maybe my sophomore year. You know, my, mm. my freshman year, I played soccer. Uh, I ran spring track. Uh, I did not run indoor track and I didn't really start doing cross country till later on, but there was just something, you know, look, I, I recognize my potential on the, on the, on the track. I was a half miler by the way, in high school. So I was a middle distance runner. Um, and I recognized, I think my potential. And I also started to really love the purity of the sport. Mm. The soccer was great, but there was always this, a little bit of subjectivity to it. Yeah. Okay. If you're a good player, you're a good player, but there's always, this person is better than that person. It's a little subjective. In track and field, similar to wrestling, it's like you toe the line and you were either going to beat the people who are next to you or you're not, or you're going to beat your best time or you're not. And there was just something about that that I just, I loved. Um, mm. And that, and that kind of fueled me. So, you know, heading into my senior year of, of high school, 
I made a very difficult decision to say, I'm not going to play soccer anymore. And it was not for a lack of talent. I was a decent player, but I, I saw my potential on the track. Uh, and then so I ran cross country uh, in addition to track and field uh, my senior year. And that kind of propelled me into being able to run in college. Awesome, so man. And, and, and then so like the, the impact of my developmental journey, um, I think coming back to the original question, we, we took a long way to get here was, you know, learning um, discipline and sacrifice um, and, and, and yearning for that competitive bit in my life has been through, with me through my whole life. Yeah, man. Great reflection. I appreciate it. And I'm sitting here thinking in my own mind, you know, where's my love for running? And I would say it's, it's probably just been birthed uh, probably about the age of 35, right? Because I mean, coming to college, I was 235. And I remember I showed up at the 82nd Airborne Division and the boys were like, all right, we're going for a run. I'm like, no problem. Next day, we're going for a run. I had no problem. And then every other day after that, we're going for a run. I was like, holy shit, man. And so I got down to 190 and I absolutely hated running for most of my early adult life. But for whatever reason, as I've gotten older, I think it's because there's just so much on my mind at this point in life, you know, work, family, spirituality, everything. It's a place for me to just disconnect. And so I've developed a deep love for running. Um, and I always used to laugh. Hey, why does all the old guys run, man? Well, shit, maybe I'm one of the old guys running now. So, but I really appreciate you sharing kind of your experience with it. And I, I want to go and continue kind of where you left, which was uh, college, man. You know, why run for the military academy? Can you share a little bit about that decision uh, and that experience? Of course. Now, this was an interesting one because, you know, I, it's a, so kind of picking up where we left off, ran, ran high, track and field in high school. And then was getting recruited by uh, a number of different colleges. And to be honest with you, um, you know, West Point was was there, but it wasn't like I I dreamt of of going there as a, as a young as a young kid, as as I think some people do. The military was always something I was interested in. But uh, strangely enough, in my high school it was it was naval ROTC. Uh, but mm -hmm. man, I just don't like boats, so uh, that was out <laughs> for me, man. I don't either. More importantly, I don't like to swim. So yeah. maybe I self-selected out of quick Marines, you know, <laughs> kind of like your brother, Brian was, was in there. Cause I think they do such a great job marketing, but uh, Hey man, I'm with you on the boats in the water. And yeah, that's no nothing problem. against all my Navy uh, brothers out there that are listening. We love you, man. But it wasn't for Eric. Wasn't for me. Please brother continue. That's right. And so at the time recruit, I don't know if recruiting is the same, but this was like 98, 99 you weren't allowed to get contacted by recruiters until I think the summer before your senior year or something like that, except the service academies had an exception. Mm. So I first started getting calls from, from army. Uh, and the coach at the time was, was Jerry Quiller. And so Jerry, um, was going to be an assistant coach on the, uh, Olympic staff for the 2000 games. So that kind of piqued my interest. And so I went up there and took a visit one of you know a few visits that I took and this was very different than the other colleges I went to right it was it wasn't you know we're gonna go out and party or anything like that it was I stayed with a plea which which is a freshman um, and I got the full experience of, uh, of what it's like to be a first year underclassman at the military academy 
and it was like October or something like that. And so it was getting cold. And mm. you know, I remember the guy I stayed with this guy, Dan, I'm still very good friends with him. And I just loved, first of all, I loved the team and I just loved how different it was. and was special and you could feel that there was something special going on there. And so that was kind of what drove me to want to go to the Academy and then running there was just, you know, that's part of who I was at that point. So I wanted to go there and excel, you know, in the classroom, which was some ups and downs. Um, and also <laughs> continue to be, um, you know, a college athlete amongst some, some like-minded individuals who were trying to excel in their life and continue to excel on the track. So that's kind of what drew me in, into the team and into the, and into going to the, to the military academy. Yeah, man, it, it's, it's a beautiful campus. Been there a couple of times myself. Um, of course I went to VMI and it's interesting because, you know, at a very young age, all I really wanted to do was be a soldier. And the meaning I made in that moment was I have to go to a military college to do that well. And I was just too slow on the, on kind of the, everything that has to happen to get into the academy and wasn't being recruited like, like you were. And, and VMI I took a visit and the campus was incredible. And uh, that kind of what sucked me in. And, and I think, you know, you didn't, hit on the campus specifically, but you talked about the season, which makes me think about it. And then, and the team that drew you in and, and the coach there. So thanks for sharing that out, man. Any memories that may come to mind um, from your time running for army? Yeah, of course. Most of my memories are about the team. Yeah. And there's some, there's some successes that I had that I can jump into very quickly, but, but the fabric of my memories is really the team you know, they were a great group of guys, the distance team, and, you know, really helped get me through, through the academy. And every, from, from, from Sunday long runs, you know, we, we would get in this, this is, this is good. I think you'll appreciate this. Maybe we used to get in a van. It was like a, a white 15 passenger van with, with government plates. And we would go out. So as a plebe, I get to go and get, get off post. And so I get in this van and we go find one of the beautiful trails that is around uh, the Hudson Valley. And we sure. go out and we and we'd run, you know, 10 or 12 or however many miles the long run was for that Sunday and then grab breakfast and then get back to post, you know, just in time for a football game. If it was a Saturday, if it was a Sunday, back in time for whatever we had to do. Um, and I just, those, those moments with the fellas and being around the team and just getting to know one, one another and, and, and pushing each other and being with each other and getting back in that smelly ass van. It was stunk, man, like smelly shoes. <laughs> and stuff. But I can remember, those memories, things like that are, are, or what really stick with me. And look, I had all, you know, I lived close. I was two hours away. So my team would come down to my parents' house in wall and, you know, Memorial day weekend and we'd come down and, you know, we used to call it shots at the Matzes and it, like those, those memories for me are, are all about the team. And so um, that sticks with me the most. And, you know, maybe one other, one other memory I'll share with you quickly, which comes back to when you said the other, the other night to me, when we were emailing, you said, go Clemson. And I said, I was on the other side of Louisiana and I mentioned Fort Polk, but really I think it's because I've got a, a fond memory. I ran my best race at LSU uh, in April mm. of 2003. And actually it happened to be Kate's 21st birthday. She wasn't there. So I, I remember it was April 12th and I think she was out partying somewhere and I was down in Louisiana running my best uh, 1500 meter race of my college career. I actually didn't win, but I ran my best time. I was second place by about a step. Um, and I got to meet Lolo Jones, who is an Olympian. Um, hurdler because she was running for LSU at the time so um, that race though was it was a smaller meet because it was early in the year 
And I remember lining up against folks who I don't normally race again. And again, I didn't have the Sambas on anymore, but I can remember lining up just knowing, knowing I was ready to rock and roll. And I go out and as I normally like to run kind of in the lead, I, I'm, I'm, I'm running this race and I know my time is boom, you know, exactly what I want it to be every lap. Boom, boom, boom. And just in the last couple steps, you know, I get, I get beat. And so that's a tough, a tough thing to swallow, but um, it was also my best time I'd run. And uh, so it was a victory in a way. And, and that's another thing about running. That's great. Is like, okay, I got beat, but I beat my best times. And uh, you know, I, I was able to you know, kind of push through to hold off some other folks. But anyway, those are kind of some of my best memories uh, that I've had at West Point. Most of them are about the team. And there's a couple highlights I had in there about winning some races and best times and things like that. But, all about the boys I was with man yeah man what what, a, what an incredible reflection and I'm just I'm, I'm sucked in man to, to listen to the story there's there's so much we could just unpack in that in that reflection man I mean there's there's passion and and how passion uh, and your performance kind of played out um, and how you performed um, during the race which is applicable to life uh, there's certainly resiliency in you know, feeling that you're performing at your best, but then still beat by somebody else and not allowing that to kind of drive through a significant setback. And, and here it is, it's one of your greatest memories. So, man, great story, dude. Sounds like a, a, a wonderful experience uh, there at the Academy running. Uh, and I appreciate you sharing it because I think it gives some good insight to, you know, kind of who you were as a very young man uh, getting life started. I like the transition here in our conversation as it continues to talk about, you know, really, what you did after the academy. And I think anyone listening knows what that looks like. It is, hey, you're going into the army. Now, I think just recently, at least from the football perspective, um, you know, folks are able to be drafted now. And I, and I think that's a great move for our military academy. I think that's really important to help position um, that place as a premier, you know, draw for American service members, but I don't think they're doing that for cross-country athletes, boss, and certainly probably wasn't doing it in 2003 because we were knee-deep and kicking the, the crap out of, you know, folks that, uh, overseas that were uh, kind of really trying to disrupt the Western way of life. So just curious, man, um, you commissioned into the engineer corps as a combat engineer, right? And so why engineers? There's so many branches out there to pursue, but for you, what kind of inspired you to serve as an, an engineer, Eric? Yeah, that's a good question. Actually, coming back on a point you made in that, in that in, in lead up into the question was, I actually think there's a soccer player who got drafted by the MLS from the academy recently, first one ever, which is cool. Heck yeah. Uh, yeah. Know. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. Timber, he's going to Portland Timberwolves or something like that, so that's cool. Um, you know, I, I had dreams of running for the Army. They had the world-class athletes program. Um, and I just, you know, I, I wanted to, I needed to be, I was a miler in college. You needed to be closer to four minutes. I was about 408, 407 was my fastest, and I just couldn't get there. Um, looking back, I'm almost glad wow. I didn't. Yeah. I, I never knew that, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that never made its way to North Carolina. Um, good gracious, man. That's phenomenal, dude. I didn't know that, Eric. Uh, and I'm just learning that in this moment. So, uh, good gracious, man. That, that's a, that's one hell of an accomplishment. Continue, please. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, but so I just, 
you know, I just didn't make it there. Um, it, I had a, I had a really good friend of mine who was a year ahead of me, and and he made it into the program, and I kind of wanted to do that for my first two years before I joined, but uh, you know, before I got into the to the regular force, but it didn't happen, and so that was okay. And I ended up granting combat engineer, well, engineer, um, because I wanted to be, um, I, I wanted to be in combat arms and, you know, infantry obviously is, is the premier combat arms branch, but being introduced to all the different, uh, branches at the Academy, I liked the engineer's mission, uh, mm-hmm. you know, mobility, counter mobility, survivability. And, you know, I didn't necessarily want to be part of the Corps of Engineer. I wanted to be a combat engineer. So do my mission. And then, look, you fight, you fight next to the, next, right next to the infantry. Mm-hmm. So there was just a little bit more dynamic um, functions, I guess you could say, to, to being an engineer. And so, you know, look, I, I went to OBC out there at Fort Leonard Wood and went through a sapper leader course and got to learn how to play with explosives and did some repelling and did some really, really cool stuff. Uh, get to blow shit up. It was, it was awesome. And so that was, that's why I wanted to, to do that. And it was really good fun. Although I'll tell you, you know, I was down at Stort and we were part of third ID and we got in country in 05. Yeah, we were engineers, but we were part of a, a infantry battalion. So we were pretty much used as infantry guys the whole time. Anyway, we may have had some C4 and deck cord in our trucks, but other than that, we were just out patrolling like the grunts. Absolutely, man. I think a lot of folks will share that as their army experience uh, in combat, just because the need was so great. Um, so I certainly identify with that story. Um, appreciate you being an advocate here for folks listening that uh, are considering, you know, service in any of the branches of the army. And, you know, if you want to know anything else about the engineers, I'd say reach out to Eric for a conversation. Um, and I think it's cool, man. I mean, I've, I've known a lot of great engineers. I actually considered that as a branch myself for, for some of the similar reasons that you did. And it's, I've enjoyed seeing how their, their careers kind of change as they get older. It's kind of like as you, as you make major, you know, you kind of do more of or have the opportunity to do more of the infrastructure type support, even for our own country, which I never really understood uh, when I was, you know, very young considering what branch I'd go into. So appreciate you sharing that, man. Um, What I'd like to do here is talk a little bit about what you're doing now, um, meaning post army. And it's, it, the reason is, is, is very, very selfish to be honest. It's because a lot of folks that, that dial in and listen to this podcast um, are, folks that I'm, that I'm in contact with on a regular basis, currently coaching or have coached, and they know they can come here to get some perspective on what it's like to transition out of the military. Um, and, and so I'm just curious, man, um, you know, you spent a lot of your time in transition most recently, maybe the last, you know, two, three, four years, as I can understand it in, in the finance industry. Um, and I have a lot of folks coming out of the military that want to do the same thing. It's attractive to them. They're excited about it, but they feel so underqualified. So, you know, if you could, I'd like to target Goldman Sachs because it's kind of like a, a signature place to work. I have a lot of folks that are interviewing with them. Could you share a moment like what it was like to, to serve 
at Goldman. So maybe take us through a day in the life or just any kind of perspective that, that someone would appreciate as they consider going to work for that company. Do you mind, Eric? Yeah, of course. You know, Goldman is a, uh, it's a unique spot. And, you know, I think maybe further along in the conversation, we'll jump into a little bit more of my transition. But a day in the life at Goldman is going to be different depending on what group that you're in. And so, you know, there's, there's, an, there's the investment banking side. Um, there is sales and trading, you know, otherwise known as markets or securities division at Goldman. There's asset management. So like wealth asset, asset management. And then and Goldman's kind of getting into a little bit of, you know, commercial banking where they've, they've actually partnered with Apple and they've created a credit card and they're getting into, you know, loan, individual personal loans. So, you know, there's so many different things you can do. And I think depending on what part of the firm you're with, your day-to-day is going to be different. Now, I was in operations. And so, you know, that's traditionally considered, quote, back office or middle office. And so we supported um, the sales and traders, you know, so those are the market makers. Those are the guys, you know, who are creating markets in, in the equity space or fixed income or debt, debt securities, um, treasuries, things of that nature. So our job, and I did a lot of projects. Um, you know, it's project-based work in, in the regulatory uh, implementation space, which, which you know, post-2008 was, was kind of a big, big thing after sure. the collapse. So, you know, we were busy. And so my day-to-day functionally was, you know, doing an analysis of issues that were out there, new, new regulations, um, understanding the impact to, to the business, understanding the impact to the operations group. Um, putting presentations together for senior leaders and, and, and managing directors and partners in the firm. So, you know, we could take a deep dive into what I did functionally. Um, and, and I'm happy to do that with, with you or any one of your listeners at any time offline. But I think what we're trying to understand here is kind of what are some of the more standard things that it's, you need to be, to be successful at Goldman? Maybe I, maybe I can go down that route. And yes. That'd be very helpful. And yeah, there's some tenets. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Eric. Uh, Before you do, I just want to say that even what you just hit on is very informative, even for just someone like me, as you kind of break out, you know, because folks are coming to me. Yeah, you know, I want to do finance. I'm going to go work at Goldman. I've got an interview and they just being able to unpack. Hey, man, there's there's so much to what that means with just the way the companies broke out. So uh, but no, please continue with where you were going. You got it. I mean, and, and there is, and to, to keep going with what you just said, there's so much to do because I talked about the kind of the, the main businesses, if you will, that Goldman's involved in, but there's a lot that goes into supporting those, but there's technology, there's operations, there's legal, there's compliance, there's public relations. You know, there's so much that goes into this is Goldman Sachs or any other bank on the street, but you know, Goldman's unique. You know, I, I can remember before I started working there, uh, our, our uncle who worked there for a long time court, we were talking, we happened to be at a Yankees game together. And he said, you know, Eric, it, it's a worker's paradise. And I was, what does he mean? Like a work, do you, if you love working, you're going to love Goldman Sachs. Okay. Well, so I'm thinking, all right, there's a great gym. There's a cafeteria. There's like little places to eat all inside. I mean, court, you could be sitting at your desk and someone comes by and says, Oh, do you, you need your, you need, a, you need your shoe shine, which was new for me. Cause I did my own shoe shining do you need to, like anything you wanted was there you never had to leave 
is a worker's paradise. You never had to leave. And that's the way they wanted it. So you have to be ready to work hard, um, to put the effort in, to be smart, and to be creative, um, adaptable. I mean, there's the things that Goldman's looking for and, and a go-getter. Like you have to show initiative. And you don't necessarily, like if you're coming out of the army and you want to go work for Goldman, and, you know, you don't necessarily know the industry that well, but you can show that you're, you know, you, you can work hard. You, you can lift your head up and see the big picture when you need to. You can lead. You can execute a task very well uh, and then go on to the next one. Um, you know, those are the type of things that a place like Goldman's looking to do. And it's no different than, I don't think, you know, working for in any other elites or company that's out there. You, you know, the tenets that we bring from the military translate very well to a place like Goldman, right? Mission focused, intellectual, hard worker, you know, quick learner. Those are the things that we, some of the things that we had to do in the military and just apply those to, to Goldman. Uh, and those are things I think that kind of traverse all the different functions that go on with inside the walls of, of that, of that company. Hey man, great, great sharing. And I'm curious, do you, do you think someone could gain that sort of a perspective through the interview process? Or is that more of, you got to talk to someone that's been there because the picture you painted for me was incredibly similar to some of the organizations I served in with Armed Special Forces, which was all about, we want to eliminate any noise associated with your job. And if it's a 15 minute lunch, we're going to give you the best lunch to eat. It's going to be the healthiest. It's going to impact your ability to get right back into a great cognitive place to do well. But we don't want you to leave campus. We'll just call it campus, right? Post, whatever, you know, the, 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 the yep. Goldman property um, specific. And yep. it's, it's, I think when we see that, we have a great insight to how what an organizational culture may look like. And we can assess whether or not that's value aligned with what we want to do. But my question was, getting back to it, is, do you think folks can, can get that insight from an interview? Or is that unreasonable? No, I don't think it's unreasonable. I mean, again, taking a step back, to be fair, I mean, you know, they, they do try and introduce some, some balance of, of, of work-life balance. But, uh, but um, I think it's important for folks who are looking to go work at Goldman is to ha or have some conversations with folks who have worked there or already worked there. And, and I will tell you this, their Veterans Network is fantastic. So I was a big part of the Veterans Network at Goldman Sachs. And mm -hmm. I was very involved in recruiting and interviewing candidates who were coming in. You know, from, from an operations perspective, we did it. And through the interview process, I did my best to portray what I'm telling you to candidates. However, that's not always the case. That was something I wanted to do because I felt like it was important. You know, th th there were plenty of folks who would reach out to you know, someone in their network who knew someone or they, who worked at Goldman, it's important to do, you know, what, what do people call it? Like information interviews. Yeah. Yeah. Reach, Actually, reach out to them, reach out to them, say, Hey, look, I'm just getting out. Can you give me some perspective on what it's like? Can you tell me a little bit about what you do? Because then you're arming yourself with information before you go to an interview, which could be so, so valuable. Yeah. Absolutely, man. I just think sometimes people come out of the military, um, they're, they're really hesitant to, to cold call, to cold contact over LinkedIn, someone and asking for that. And so, you know, I guess in this moment, if you're listening and if Goldman's a place you're considering, um, here's someone that you don't know cold, 
say, hey, Eric, man, heard you on the podcast. I'm interested. Do you mind taking a call for me if I could just hear a little bit about your experience there? And I know that's been a couple of years ago for you now, um, and, but maybe just finance in general um, and, and how important that is. And, and the other thing that's resonating with me as I listen to what you're talking about is, yeah, I think what you're saying, Court, it, it can happen, but really the burden is on you, the person in transition, to ask the right questions. That was something else that, that I was hearing. Yeah, I think that's accurate. It's accurate. And it's finding, it's, it's finding the right person sometimes to talk to. I mean, you really got to do your homework. Um, you know, I just talked to someone recently, Court, that you put me in touch with. And I think we had a really good conversation, you know, about he's getting out. I think he's going to school. and We had a really good conversation. So yeah. if you're listening and you want to chat about Goldman, uh, any other part of the industry, transitioning, I'm always up to to chat with people because that's so so important so important i i strongly believe in, in using the network and don't be scared i'm telling you people welcome the conversations someone reaches out to me and says hey can you help me out i welcome it and i would say most of the transitioning military folks and veteran community would be willing to have that conversation yeah i agree and i think it's because you had that shared experience having transitioned yourself uh, a few years ago um Correct. so thanks for that vote of confidence uh and the challenge you're dropping for anybody listening um let, let's let's widen the scope a little bit here beyond goldman because i know you've done a lot more than that and and it looks like in in honor about 17 or, or a few years ago uh you transitioned in the city as a senior vice president there and so is there any differences in, in that work, in that new role, was it also an operational role or could you kind of share a little bit about that experience with service to city? Yeah, it's, um, it's a different role altogether. And, and that's one of the reasons why I made the move. Uh, you know, a number of reasons why I, why I decided to leave Goldman. Um, but going to city, I left the operations world and went into compliance. And compliance in itself is... <laughs> is very big. You could do a number of different things, but what this role um, is allowing me to do is I am sitting with the business. And so we advise the business uh, and, and the business in this case being again, markets. So sales and trading, uh, we advise the business on regulatory matters, um, city policy matters. We answer questions. We are an independent challenger of, um, of the business when necessary. And specifically, I, I cover electronic trading, uh, which is which was pretty pretty exciting. And so it's very different from an operational role where you know in operations we own things. It was very process driven. Uh, it, it translated you know military things translated a little a little bit cleaner into operations because I we own things front to back. Okay, we we have a process that we're trying to improve. Perhaps okay, let's let's take let's reverse engineer it. Let's put it back together. In this role, it's a little bit more. Um, yeah, first of all, it's very, it's advisory. It's a little bit more on the fly thinking. Someone comes up to your desk and has a question. You have to be able to answer them quickly or be able to get back to them very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's a different skill set. And frankly, you know, I, I went into the position, uh, expecting to do like a chief of staff role for them and find someone and look for some ways to improve the way that they were doing their function. And what happened was I, did well. And they said, Eric, we need you to start to have coverage over, you know, electronic trading and another group within city. And, you know, like we think you can do it, you can do a good job at it. So I had to adapt and change and say, let's, let's giddy up, let's go. Um, so it's been a big, 
big change. And, and then culturally, you know, city is much bigger, right? You think, you think city and Goldman and bank of America, they're all the same. And, you know, Goldman is a much smaller shop than bank of America, Wells Fargo, Citigroup. So, and city has been, um, you know, it, there's been a bunch of acquisitions. There was travelers, there was, uh, um, I'm having, a, I'm having a brain laugh. So there's been a bunch of different, you know, companies that city has kind of acquired and, and been sure. part of. So you have silos that have developed and there's, there's opportunity for uh, a lot, a lot of improvement. And, and it's just, a, it's a little bit different culturally. Um, so the, the transition has been a good one and it's also allowed me a little bit more uh, flexibility with my, with my life, which, which is very important to me. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of people that that uh, I'm, I'm serving are, are kind of have this question, or if they don't have it, I'm going to ask it. Which is, you know, what does your best look like? Your your best life look like as you're coming out of the military, and, and what do you dream that to look like? And a lot of people at this point um, are considering marriage if they're not married already, and maybe considering kids if they don't have them already, and 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 being the husband and father that uh, they'd like to be is important, right? And sometimes in the military, it doesn't allow that. You try your your hardest, but when someone says you're going to Iraq for nine months, for 12 months, it's just what you signed up for. But it was a bit more challenging to be the husband and dad in those moments. And so I think I can hear there from you that there were certain things you wanted to do beyond the workplace that delivered a fulfilled life for you. And you felt like that opportunity was there uh, in that pivot. Um, so thanks a lot for sharing that, man. I, I want to take it one step back as we jumped in really rapidly to what you've been doing uh, and a couple, and there's a lot more that you've been doing, but I wanted to target these talking points specifically based upon really, you know, who I'm serving. Um, but transition just in general, man. Um, when you did transition out of the army, what challenges do you recall facing? And and could you maybe share how you dealt with those challenges in transition? Yeah, my challenges were very specific. Uh, I got out of the army in 2008. So not a great time. You know, the economy wasn't doing very well. Um, my Kate, my wife had moved, moved home to Jersey ahead of me. We, we made a decision to get out for a variety of reasons. And she, we want to have a family. We want to have a family back in Jersey around our bigger extended family. And so she moves home. Uh, about a month before I did transitioning out, she calls me one day and says, Hey, uh, I'm pregnant. <laughs> Sorry. This is our first. I said, all right. Well, I don't have a job lined up yet. And I, I own a house in Savannah, which we can't sell because the economy tanked and we're going to move in with your mother, which happened. So we, we, I'm living with my mother-in-law and uh, she's pregnant and I don't have a job yet. And so I got out of the army labor day of 2008 and that's what I drove home to. So I get in the car I drive home from Savannah to New Jersey and the challenges are very crystallized, you know, got to have a job, sure. got to find a place to live. <laughs> oh crap. Uh, go. So, you know, what I, I, I dealt with those challenges kind of the same way I do everything. Right. I, I am an eternal optimist, optimistic guy and I dream big, right? I always dream big and I never allow myself to say I'm defeated ever. And so, you know, I had a kid coming in, in, you know, less than, less than nine months at this point, And I had to find a job quickly. So my job was, you know, find a job. So I do what I was kind of trained to do. I made a plan. Okay. I kind of put my, my, 
my op board together and I said, okay, what do I have to do every day? And I put a plan together to find a job. And look, the economy wasn't doing very well at that time. And I ended up finding a job in, in oil and gas. And I did it for three years, but it wasn't really what I wanted to do. I did it the best I could. Um, you know, and after about, I don't know, it was about a year, we were able to find a house and, and move out. But I just kept plugging along and keeping my attitude uh, positive. And, and that's been such a key thing in my life. And look, Kate's been amazing, an amazing support for me as well. And she, and she works as well and has her own dreams. But, you know, during that transition, you know, it was just like, all right, like, I, I've got to put food on the table. I've got to find a place to live. And, and, but I just, I just kept my, my dreams big and my, my goals attainable and, and, and mission focused. And so there's, I don't think there was a silver bullet. It was just, right. let's go, like, you know, let's do it. Uh, yeah, that, that's all there is to is my mindset. I think that's what it is. It comes down to mindset. I don't accept failure. I don't accept defeat. They happen. Those things happen, but I don't accept it. I don't, I don't give up. And, and that's really kind of what, it, where I was. Incredible, man. And, and so I would say for anyone listening, you know, moving through that transition, adopt a mindset like Eric did. And, and I would also say, I mean, you had clear criteria. There was something driving you out of the army in that moment, and that became your most important piece of the criteria. And then you got some more information uh, about the situation. And I, I tell you, man, I'm right there with you. I, I think both of my kids, as, as Tara calls me up and says, oh, by the way, I'm pregnant. Um, <laughs> I remember the first one uh, wasn't planned, but I remember uh, my daughter, Charlotte. But then when Bryce uh, was was kind of conceived it was we got the blood test back on the birthday party for my daughter who was turning one and when tara shared that with my parents who were in town visiting she started crying immediately and so i <laughs> that clearly wasn't planned so sometimes <laughs> just how life develops us man but a uh, couple things specifically right be optimistic dream big make a plan which is so important and then you know you didn't say this either but you had a couple pivots but you kept your, your kind of eye on this pursuit of what I really want to do and your life maybe is continuing to develop that way. I think that's what it's all about. I mean, I believe life is a constant state of transition. You know, I just think that's what it's yeah. about. There's not just one transition. And I think a lot of folks that I'm engaged with are, are, are so dead set on this being, you know, the, the next job is what I'll settle into for 20 years. And I think that it's just, the civilian world is not as like the military is in that kind of structure to it. And oh, by the way, you're not signing a contract that says you can't make a change. And so that's one of the, the steepest challenges, I think, is helping folks adopt that sort of a framework or perspective. And so uh, it's refreshing, Eric, to hear it from you, from oil and gas through Ernst & Young, through some other work, and now, you know, to where you are uh, with City. So yeah. thanks for sharing it, man. Anything else you wanted to add? I mean, we could stay, let's just stay on that for a second. I mean, you hit something that I, that I think is important about life being in a constant state of transition. And, and it, that's true. And when I think about, you know, this is called high performance pathways and I've listened to a lot of, a lot of your podcasts. And when I think about, I won't define high performance yet, but when I think about my life and what being excellent means, there's, there's kind of, I don't know, four things that I think about. It's, it's work, it's my family, um, it's my fitness and it's my community. And all those things are underlined, I think, by, by my faith. But, you know, those four things are in constant transition. 
And what I strive to do, and this is, this is what I talk about when I say dream big, is I need to be fully integrated in all four of those things at any given moment. Like, sure, sometimes work is going to be taking up my time and I won't get to see the family as much. But I also know that I can't, me personally, sacrifice a ton of time with my family because that energizes me. And it's, it's, it's important who I am because I need to be, I need to be excelling on that front. And then same thing with my fitness, which, you know, has gone through some valleys, but over the past couple of years has become so, so important to me. Um, and so, and then I say community, which is friends and giving back and, and all four of those things have to have to be balanced in some ways. And I don't know if balance is the right way to talk about it, but I need to be doing the best I can and fully integrated into every kind of one of those things that I just spoke about. Um, and, and if there's a transition, whether it's in my family, another child, we don't have any more, but that happened three times, um, <laughs> or a job move, or there's less time to get a workout in, or I don't have time to give back to the community like I want to, then, you know, I have to make an adjustment because if one of those things falls short, I am not performing the way I need to in the other facets of my life. So that's, I wanted to just kind of touch on that because that's an important part of who I am. And I want people to get that because you said, look, you know, people coming out are, they're so focused on, you know, the career they want. And that's so, so important. Don't get me wrong, but you have to identify who you are as a person and what drives you. And for me, it's all of those things. And it's important to know that as you're making a transition, whether it's out of the army or into anything, what drives you, who are you, what fuels you? Yeah, so for me, it's those things I talk about. Yeah, and I, I really appreciate the, the sharing because you know I think what you're opening the door to, or, to, towards here maybe is uh, a little bit of a differentiation uh, in the question of what are you passionate about? Because a lot of people are getting that question, especially veterans in transition that have tremendous experience. I'm talking, you know, maybe in some cases more time in the army than you spent, you know, 20 years, right? And then they're stuck with this question of, okay, we know what you did in the army, but what are you passionate about now? And I think when people hear that question, a lot of times the answer is um, knowledge, skills, ability related, industry related. They feel like that's what I got to answer yep. so that I can project myself to be competitive for this next vocation. But, but I think where the real answer uh, lies is it's twofold. It's, it's what you said you know, identity or what's important. There's a passion there. And in those four sharings you did, those might even be values for you in some way. Yep. Uh, certainly, I believe your spirituality is that you said underpins everything, but those four things you commented on are things that are important. And, and the other thing that, that I wanted to bring up in this moment is, you know, if you don't know what those are for you as a listener, you got to figure it out. You know, what are those values and how are they defined and what do they mean? And I do think that balance is a tough word because I think balance is an objective way of framing it. I think, I think we kind of know what it means, but I'm not so sure that, that time with your kids, time with your wife, time at work always is ever balanced. But I think there's, there's a, a fulfillment in each of those areas that's right for you. And there's a fulfillment with time or activity in each of those areas that's right for everybody. It's just different. Um, and I think most of that comes from a work environment where people understand the person and they recognize that life is dynamic and there's an autonomy that exists where, hey, man, Eric, if you've got to do something for the family, you don't have to be in the office at this particular time because we've already told you what success looks like in this role. 
and you go ahead and choose how you're going to deliver on that. But we're still going to hold you accountable to the delivery that's expected. And so I think if, you know, if, if anyone else is considering how do they tackle this idea of balance, I think it's in, in finding an organization that respects autonomy and also clearly articulates what success looks like. Because you got to have both. You can't just have a freedom that exists in the workplace without someone telling you what success looks like. Because what happens is when you start not hitting and meeting what's expected, oh, yeah, but there's this great autonomy, you probably find yourself out of work. And that burden is on the managerial team um, to, to kind of set those conditions. And it's also on you, the person looking for work. So anything else, man, on that? And I, we can talk about that probably forever. But uh, we could. So I'll, I'll, I, that, was, that was a good summary. Very good. Now we, we, can, we can move on. It's your, it's your, uh, it's your pleasure. All right, man. Um, you know, I think you kind of introduced this in your last answer, which was um, moving towards what, what I would love to explore together with you is, is how does high performance kind of make meaning in your life? And so, you know, folks that are listening know they're going to get this question from me. And I think that's why a lot of people do listen to the podcast, because I'm always going to explore, you know, what the guest's perspective is on that. So, Eric, in your own words, man, what does high performance mean to you? You know, fortunately, you did prep me for this. I saw I put some thought into it. But, um, you know, it's consistently operating at a level above. And I know you're thinking above. Well, above what, man? And what do you what do you mean? above any number of things, right? It could be above your peers. It could be operating at a level better than your competition at work or on the sports field. It could be operating at a level above your, your goals that you, that you achieved the prior week or the prior month or the prior year or a time you wanted to run. Or it just, it's relative to what you're comparing yourself against. And so high performance is consistently operating at a level above whatever it is that you're trying to be excellent at. You know, for me, it's the four things that I talked about. I always want to be operating at a level above what I know I've already achieved or what my best is. So that's what it is for me. Yeah, man, I love it. It's, it's, there's some beautiful simplicity there. And I think that people get it, what you mean, because the criteria for And say, hey, look, man, you're doing really well. I, th- I think I, you lost me for a second. Am I back? You're back. I, I, I heard you start to kind of recap what I said, and then I lost it for seven seconds or so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all I was saying is that, you know, I, I think it's, it's very, very well put with some great simplicity around high performance, and people understand what it means when you say for you to perform at a high level, you have to you consistently operate at a level above whatever you've set for yourself. And all I was saying is that if people don't know what that is, meaning to be above what's expected and it's at the workplace, then you got to have a conversation with your manager because that should be explained. And it's kind of easy in the world of sales because maybe it's quota and finance based. Some of the other ways it's, it's more complicated, but people owe that to you. Yep. And then for the other areas of your life, like Eric kind of shared here is you, you kind of set, got to set those goals for yourself and work towards kind of achieving those and, and, and blowing past them to perform at a high level, uh, according to Eric here. Um, 
So, so I appreciate that sharing, man. Uh, I, I think I've got two more questions for you here, boss, before we close out. And, and the first one is just kind of, I'm always fascinated by folks like you that have done so many incredible things. And, and I believe it's, it's really just because sports impact on your life. And so I'm curious, man, if you can reflect on anything you took away from that experience of being a college athlete and have applied that, you know, to your adult professional life. Are there any habits, Eric, that you say, hey, man, that was birthed there in sport and I've carried it with me and it's been helpful? Yeah, sure. Discipline, uh, pain endurance, and planning. You know, those three things are, you know, it's very specific and I'll keep this answer short, but you have to be disciplined when you're an athlete. Uh, I, as, an, as a distance runner, you're going to have pain and you, and you have to persist through it and you have to plan your training based on the event you're running. So discipline, pain, endurance, and planning. And they've been part of my life uh, since forever. Yeah, man. <laughs> I'm sorry I cut you off. No, you're good. Yeah, I mean, wonderful. Well put. Uh, thanks for sharing it out, man. It's a great recipe. I think, you know, we were talking about maybe running or sport in general, maybe soccer there. But if someone's to say, hey, man, how'd you find success at work? Well, I'm pretty disciplined. I can deal well with pain and painful experiences. That might be a conversation. Or that might be someone getting promoted ahead of me. Uh, I've got endurance and I'm making a plan. So thanks for sharing that. Uh, last question here, boss. And, and I think um, it's a similar one where I think people are looking for tactical takeaways either to, to add to their life because they, they don't know what to do or that confirms some of the things that they're already doing when we share out some of these habits that you're using uh, in, your, in your life. And, and this one is, uh, a bit of reflection into the military experience. So you talked about pain, discipline, endurance, and planning. Is there anything in addition to that that you'd say, hey, you know what? The army gifted me that, and I've, that stayed with me as I've moved forward. There may not be, because I think that those would apply to the army too. But For anything sure. additional, man, from your army time? I think those things from sport that we talked about, discipline, pain, endurance, and planning, those things helped me in the army. Uh, but what, what the army added to my kit bag, if you will, uh, believe it or not, is adaptability, right? I mean, I, I know people think about the army like it's very rigid and you do the same things over and over. But, you know, there, there's something to be said about you know, you're, at, you're at one duty station, you have to go to another one, okay? You're, you make a plan uh, to engage with the enemy. And, and as soon as that happens, you know, shit hits the fan, you have to adapt. So adaptability is something that I picked up from the army. Um, that has, has helped me in my life. And, you know, there's a saying, it says like, do routine things routinely. And you, you do the routine things consistently well. And when, it, when you have to adapt and change, it, it's easier. And so there's a lot to unpack there and we don't have to do it here, but adaptability, I'll just keep it at that. Adaptability uh, and then moving on to a mission focus. There's, there's always a mission, right? There's always an op board or a frago. There's always a mission that you have to drive towards. And so and when life gets nebulous, sometimes I have to find a mission to drive towards that keeps me motivated. And then finally, leadership, not the, not, not coming from the rank that I wore in my collar, but influential leadership. And, and I'll tell you, that was a, a bit of a challenge coming out of the military because you have to use much more influence, influential leadership in the, in the civilian world because no one's looking at your collar, but, yeah. but, but I gained a lot of education trying to get, and I think I was successful at it, soldiers 
to respect me uh, and not that rank on my collar. And, and so, and that's hard work, man, like earning trust and getting them to follow you and, and do, do tasks and or missions that just suck. Like learning to lead in that environment really has helped me in, in the civilian world quite a bit. So adaptability, mission focus, and, and kind of uh, honing my leadership abilities are the three things that I took away from the military that still help me today. Yeah, man. Love it. Thanks for sharing boss. Uh, I think it's, it's definitely impactful. And um, I, I think, you know, former athletes, former veterans that, that are working into the, you know, the civilian workplace, there's, there's probably not a better hire out there uh, given some of these things. You'll get someone that, that has these qualities that Eric says he took with him from his time in the army. So thanks so much for sharing, man. Now, I, I think I just got one more question, man, here for you, and we can call it a wrap on this episode. And that's really, you know, what's next for you, Eric, um, yeah. as you kind of take this opportunity just to reflect maybe, um, and it could be very tactical on what's next, or it could be very loose, man. But just curious, man, you know, what's next for you and Kate and the kids? There's a lot. I think we're getting a dog soon. So that's next. Um, <laughs> <laughs> adding some chaos to our life. No, listen, I mean, you know, when we think about, and I say we, cause I talk about Kate and I, we think about, you know, the, the next season of life, if you will, or the next few years, it's, it's again, it kind of comes back to those four things. Like I want full integration. I want to become, I want to find a career and, and it might be the same one I have. It might be a different role within city. It might be something all, all together different, but finding, finding a, a job that allows me um, full integration into all the aspects of my life that are important. Um, and then, you know, just, just growing as a family um, to help each other realize the goals we have. My, my, my wife works in as an occupational therapist and, you know, she's got a great job in the school, but I know she's got other goals for herself, uh, within that field. And, you know, I want to be able to support that as we go forward. My oldest son is, is 10 years old and going to be 11. And I know he's got goals to achieve. And, you know, as a family, we want to, you know, build each other up and support us. So as we, as we move forward, that's our goal, like just helping each other achieve our goals. And I know it's yeah. not, you know, very specific, but that's always what we think about as a unit. So I don't know. I don't know if that uh, is what you're looking for, but that's what, that's what's important to us. And that's what we're looking to do in the next chapter of our life. Well, in all the chapters of our lives coming up. Yeah, man. No, I, I, it's wonderful. I think people need to hear that. I think, and I even appreciate the words. I don't think I ever heard it put that way. Full integration, full integration of all things important for the Mott's and Becker family. And if you can continue to, to, to hold that space on that mindset, I don't know there's anything that as a family you can't tackle. Because look, man, life is hard, dude. Yep. Life is hard, man. Three kids, a dog coming, a wife yeah. who's working. And you that's working full time. But if you can, if you can keep that sort of a perspective, um, I think it's going to be incredible. And you're going to find that you continue to perform at a high level and that your kids uh, and your wife are able to do the same. So thanks for sharing that, man. It's, it's, it's kind of just idea of, hey, man, we know what fulfillment looks like for us. We're going to continue to chase it. We're not sure where that's going to take us, but we kind of know what the recipe looks like. And that's a blessing, man. So 
challenging everybody else to figure out that recipe in their own life, whether they're single, married, kids, dogs, who knows, whatever. All right, boss. Hey, man, that's a wrap. Would love to get you out here and on your way and, and ask you to get us and the listeners into our day on a high level with just going through the breakdown here. And so um, you said you listened to a couple episodes, so I'll be brief on how I kind of coach you through this, but I'm going to speak the words breakdown and then count one, two, three, Eric. And when you hear three, that's your opportunity to give us Three claps followed by the words, boom, shakalaka. And you can add anything to that that you're moved to do, although nothing's required. Does that make sense, man? Yeah, man. I love it. Let's do it. Let's get it. Let's get it out there. Hey, Eric Motz, my cousin here on season two, episode three, breaking us out and into our day with some energy. Eric, breakdown on three. One, two, three. Boom, shakalaka, dream big. Yeah, man, I love it. There's a call out from my cuz up in Jersey, uh, challenging anyone listening today. If there's a dream you're thinking about, right, let it marinate and, 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 and embrace it and dream big and, and find a way, create a plan to execute on it. Hey, to connect with Eric, you can find him on LinkedIn at Eric Motzenbecker. And I'll spell that for you because I know it's a mouthful, M-O-T-Z-E-N-B-E-C-K-E-R. And you can find this episode and more episodes at my website, courtwomen.com, and on all your podcast handles that you love as High Performance Pathways. Now get out there, everybody. Consider what Eric shared and chase high performance in your life.